Breastfeeding is the next natural step after birthing a baby. But guess what? You and your baby still have to learn how to do it. In this episode, we discuss several principles to successful breastfeeding and how to prepare for the process during your pregnancy. Having a newborn comes with many steep learning curves, and this is certainly one of them. But having education and resources to back your inherent instincts and motivation to breastfeed your baby can make or break the experience. We have to remember that we used to get this info as little girls surrounded by community, but today most new mothers have never even seen a baby latch before they're meant to do it themselves. From tongue ties to letdowns, building your supply, positioning, and mastitis, let us help guide you and pump you up for this special relationship so there's no surprises. Let's go. Welcome to Healthy as a Mother, the podcast for becoming and being a mother with your co-hosts, Dr. Leah Gordon and Dr. Morgan McDermott, two naturopathic doctors who get it. Each week, we teach you how to be the healthiest mother you can be, from fertility and preconception to pregnancy and birth prep, through postpartum and throughout motherhood, empowering you with the natural health guidance and education you're not getting elsewhere so you can confidently navigate the broken system at large. The real, the raw, the untalked about. And remember, this information is not intended to diagnose, treat, or manage any disease. Always consult with your doctor before making any changes. All right, let's talk about breastfeeding. This is your expertise. Yes. And I think the biggest thing that we want to highlight is the preparation for breastfeeding before the baby comes. Yeah. Because at that point, it's kind of stressful and things can come up. But why don't you talk us through kind of what, why breastfeeding awareness and just knowing about it before is maybe important and then what you actually can do to prepare and just know. Yeah. So, I mean, as with everything in this podcast and just our general look and view when we're working with clients, patients, and educating the public in general is that knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember that we're not, we're we're not growing up in multi-generational households anymore where as young children, we ran around and saw our friends, cousins, aunts, whatever, nursing babies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't see that in our culture very often. And I mean, there is a bigger breastfeeding push now of women who are nursing their babies open in the public, but it's not like you're going to learn that much. These are probably not women that you're going to go up and see, you know, up close dynamics of what a latch looks like or anything like that. So we have to remember that that is where we came from. We came from this having been a very normalized aspect of raising children. It's the next Mm -hmm. step. And now we don't really see that. It's not really encouraged. And we're expected to just do it Mm -hmm. perfectly with our own babies when there's so many other overwhelming learning curves of being a new parent and taking care of a newborn and Mm -hmm. how to do this. So it's really my wish for everybody that they start to learn about breastfeeding during the time of pregnancy, pregnancy being nine, 10 months is such an opportunity to learn so many things and be prepared. And it doesn't have to be, you know, this very intensive thing, but have some awareness and knowledge, watch some videos, read some books, listen to an audiobook. So I'm going to talk about my tips for that, but I just have to recognize the fact that we are not getting that kind of cultural normalization from little girls like we used to be. Yeah. Which and the, huge. Yeah. And just seeing what does a woman do with a fussy baby that's not latching and what are the different positions that you can hold a baby in and how, what does a good latch look like? And have you ever seen somebody unlatch a baby when the, and then take them off and re put them back on because it was painful. Or did mm. you know that when toddlers nurse, they maybe are like crawling up the back of your shoulder and <laughs> then they're upside down. And this is all new information. It's yeah. such a sad thing. People don't even know what it means to be breastfeeding a newborn 
and how many hours of the day you're actually just sitting and breastfeeding yeah, them. No. And I didn't even know, you know, which until I went to medical school and had my own baby that it's the colostrum first. It takes a long time for your milk to come yes. in. The milk coming in is like an event. Yes. You know, it's, it, there's just things that literally this is just passively happening to women who are just like, ah, like what's happening. Yeah. They don't know. No, they don't know. And you, it's, you kind of think like, okay, well, I'm going to birth this baby. I'm just going to put them on my nipple and then everything's going to happen. And now sometimes that is the case and that's beautiful and wonderful, but I feel like it's just sad. And I was, I experienced this where like, I was completely unprepared and a bunch of really unfortunate things happened that didn't need to happen. Had I known more. Yeah. So that's a good point. Just so that we can talk about really quickly what happens is that throughout pregnancy, your breasts will begin to be making colostrum. Colostrum is a temporary first milk that have, that feeds the baby for the first three to five days of its life while the milk is coming in. Colostrum is milk. It's just a different form of it. And so in a baby, a newborn's gut and body is designed to survive and only have colostrum. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's okay that they're not getting milk in an abundant amount for, you know, five days a week. It's okay. And so a lot of people are told, unfortunately, and this is something that's phasing out, but they'll give birth in the the hospital baby's two days old. They're about to get discharged. The baby's crying. And mm-hmm. some nurse or somebody will come in and say, you just got to give that baby a bottle of formula. Yeah. No, the baby has, is literally not ready for formula. Their body is not, I mean, unless you're, you cannot breastfeed or you're not going to breastfeed or something like that. Ideally still you're sourcing colostrum from somewhere, but that is, you know, a different topic and different issue. But the, the baby is not like hungry and wanting milk and oh your body's not making the milk and so you need to feed it mm-hmm. something else yeah, and there's something wrong with you that no is gonna fix this yeah. is very normal they are not meant to have mm-hmm. milk yeah. until that's like a very physiological time I think a lot of people don't realize yes yes so throughout pregnancy this colostrum is building in your breasts and actually you can do something called colostrum harvesting which is a really interesting topic and idea, especially for women who are like leaking, you know, your very obvious production. And it's usually towards the, you know, it's in that third trimester towards the very end here. Mm -hmm. And you'll need to be working with your OB and telling them that you're doing this or your midwife, maybe even working with a lactation consultant or finding other resources on when it is appropriate to either hand express or pump out some of the colostrum, because you don't want to be too early. I think it's like, you need to wait at least 37, 38 weeks because it can start to begin contractions. Oh yeah. Nipple stimulation stimulation and the oxytocin loop of the inherent form of, you know, the way that our physiology of breastfeeding is, and then nipple stimulation all trigger oxytocin. The oxytocin is what causes the uterus to contract. So this is contraindicated if there is any pre-labor, meaning it's not something that you would want to do. And you also don't want to do it too early on, but you can, you can begin to store quite a lot of colostrum before your baby's even born. And because it's in small amounts, it's in like drops, you would get like some sort of a one CC, like a one mil milliliter syringe. And you can kind of suck it up that way. Haka who makes the, um, it's a New Zealand brand that makes the silicone breast pump. They make little colostrum silicone pouch things now as well. And this is, you don't have to do this. (laughs) I never did this. I don't even do this, but it's just, the point is, is that our breasts are making this milk, um, this colostrum before we even give birth. Then we give birth to our babies. The baby is surviving solely on the colostrum for the first three to five days until that milk comes in. Sometimes milk comes in on day two. Sometimes milk doesn't come in until day six, seven, 
but the average is three to five and you are nursing around the clock. A lot of people don't realize this. They do not realize, they think, oh, two to three hours. And I mean, sometimes that can be the case, but typically it's every multiple times an hour, Mm -hmm. I would say, or maybe there'd be like an hour break and then the baby wants to nurse again and root and you have to think about a newborn too, is sort of waking up to the world. And so as they're little, little, they may kind of be more sleepy, but you need to be feeding them. And you're also pulling the stimulation for your milk to come in. If you have no stimulation at the breast, if you're not nursing, or if your baby is in the NICU and you cannot nurse them or something is going on, you need to be pumping. You need to be pumping at least every two hours so that your milk can come in so that your body gets the signal to feed this baby and, and bring it in that way. But then typically that milk will change over from colostrum it, for maybe a day or two, it kind of becomes like a creamyish yellow. And then it becomes more of that classic white breast milk later on. And then you're, you're rocking and rolling with that breast milk, you know, until you wean. But so that's sort of like the way that that begins, but it's so many women just don't realize the intensity of the breastfeeding period in those first couple of weeks. And with the education prior, mm-hmm. then they cannot be so shocked by it because it's, it's honestly shocking. Yeah. Um, I have a friend right now who's breastfeeding her first daughter and she's just like, what else am I, I can't do anything else. And I'm like, you really can't it's it's you're really just going to be sitting there for a long time so you need a lot of support around this time Mm -hmm. and it's short and it's temporary and it's not forever and it's just in these first early weeks with a newborn Mm -hmm. it's really heavy on the breastfeeding and as they get a little older the baby and their mouth gets bigger Mm -hmm. they start to become faster and faster and it's not 15 minutes 30 minutes it's like five minutes you know and then you're yes maybe you're still feeding every two to three hours that frequency doesn't really change. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> maybe it gets to four hours at some point later on, six, seven, eight months, but the frequency doesn't change as much as more of the speed. You know, they become just so fast, they're downing the milk and then it's boom, it's done. So it's mm-hmm. not as laborious in that kind of a way. But just to be able to have that basic understanding of kind of what is it going to look like? Okay, how much time is it going to be allotted? And then all of the specifics of what is a good latch? What is a latch? The latch is the yeah. way that the baby attaches to your breast and there's good latches and there's bad latches and bad latches can cause nipple damage. So damage Mm -hmm. to your tissue, because you imagine this very strong suction in an improper way is going to cut the tissue, crack the tissue, cause bleeding and pain and leads you to be more at risk for mastitis. So my question for you is, is there any normalcy of bleeding no and cracked nipples. No. If ever that's happening, there's something wrong. Yes, 100%. That's, I think very important for women to yes. know. Yes. So there is a tenant in, out there that's like breastfeeding should not be painful. It should never be painful. And I kind of don't really necessarily agree with that. I think that there's like a period of time, the very, very beginning where it's uncomfortable. But if you are having damage, if your nipple is coming out of the newborn's mouth and there is a, you know, reddish purplish mark on it, depending on your skin tone, where it's looking like a hickey, or it's shaped funny, like lipstick, like a, or it's shaped like a lipstick where it's kind of flat on one end and pointed on the other end, or it's, yeah, you're beginning to have a crack or any bleeding or any like, or excruciating pain, excruciating pain. No, they're not normal. There is a little uncomfortability this within the realm of normal. And usually after the baby is latched and has been suckling for maybe 30 seconds, a lot of that pain will go away. Mm-hmm. Now, in the case of like a bad latch there, the pain doesn't really go away. It's uncomfortable the entire time. And you need to be working with somebody to help you fix this. 
It could be a good friend. It could be a lactation consultant. Ideally, if you're having a lot of problems, you're seeking out somebody called an international board certified lactation consultants. And so that's IBCLC. They're usually independent. They usually have their own private practices or, um, you know, or an office that you could go to, or they'll come to your house when you have a newborn, which is such a joy and a, an amazing thing. And they know that, you know, women who are two or three days postpartum and are struggling don't want to get out of the house. Yeah. So many of them will come to you, which is such a joy. Uh, I highly recommend it. Even if it's an extra, you know, $20 for the gas fee or something, it's very useful because that getting up in that time period postpartum is just like not what you want to be doing, especially if you're having struggle and you're in pain. Mm -hmm. So the latch is very important. There's a lot of factors that can play into latch, mm -hmm. a small baby, small mouth tightness. So, you know, thinking about the muscles, the joints, the fascia, fascia is a connective tissue that surrounds every structure in our body. All of these things can be kind of tight from the birth process, from sitting in utero and working with somebody like a craniosacral therapy therapist or a chiropractor. Although I do think if you're going to prioritize one body work in the very beginning of a child's life, it's going to craniosacral therapy is the choice. Mm. Their bones are really far apart and soft and not usually the issue. A lot of chiropractors though do perform craniosacral therapy and that's a double bonus mm -hmm. but craniosacral therapy is working on the soft tissues which all of the baby is a soft tissue at this point <laughs> and so very they soft. really they're very soft <laughs> it's a beautiful joyous aspect of newborns they're so soft but they will benefit from some kind of a body work like that can, that can help them unwind so that all the the structures in their mouth can relax and be open and functioning. The tongue mm -hmm. has to function in a very specific way and do a very specific motion to pull milk efficiently out of the nipple, as well as not damage it mm -hmm. because it should be getting so far in the back of their mouth that their tongue is pressing up. And it's kind of just the way when you milk a cow, you're sort of just squeezing. You're not like raking your hand up and down the whole udder where you would over time, if you had suction and that friction, you're going to damage the skin. So for all of you who milk cows on the red, <laughs> you know what she's you talking know. about. But you've Which seen probably hardly anybody. <laughs> you've seen a cartoon though. I know you have. You've seen somebody and they're not just, they're not like, you know, squeams using, using the very provocative hand motion right now, as you can imagine. Yeah. But you have to think about this wouldn't evolutionarily or adaptively make sense that our babies are coming out and damaging us irrecoverably to the point where we're bleeding like yeah, that is not normal and then no. threatening our life yeah like no. this isn't normal and pre-formula days the baby would die if they couldn't be breastfed so this doesn't make sense this is pathological and we need to know this before when we're going into pregnancy so that we can recognize or, or during pregnancy rather so that when we go into breastfeeding we can recognize hey something's not right here i really mm -hmm. need to be getting extra support okay so the biggest things for a woman because she's not gonna she's not currently experiencing maybe an issue let's right. say this is the woman who's who's pregnant she needs to know okay my milk is not going to come in for a few days yep there's going to be a small amount of colostrum and i don't need to supplement no nope. even if my baby's crying it doesn't mean they're hungry right and that once my milk comes in and just in general, I need to be paying attention to the baby's latch, maybe watching videos of what's proper, whatever. Yep. And that if I have bleeding, cracked or damaged nipples or extreme pain, that none of that is normal. And I need to get help from an IBCLC. Yep. 
Great. In addition to that, you need to watch some videos on what it looks like for when a baby is swallowing. So these are other additions to the latch. Not only is the way that it's on your breast feels comfortable, you're, you're finding comfortable breastfeeding positions, knowing even just that there are different breastfeeding positions. Mm -hmm. And so given the size of your breast, the size of the rest of your body, if you'd had a cesarean, maybe you don't want to be holding a baby on, you know, in your lap because you have an incision mark. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have really large breasts and it's difficult to latch a little tiny newborn in the classic cradle, cradle position. So you want to do something like football hold, or maybe you have twins and you need to be getting a lot more support or, you know, there's so many ways. Yeah. And if anyone doesn't know what these positions are, you know, look it up online, Google it, you know, we have resources as well, but you know, it's basically just different positions where the baby is held and the easiest way is to just look at a woman or yeah. And pictures picture. and read some stuff. So, and I'll get there too, about what I, my recommendations for resources as well, but even just the idea back to the swallowing of seeing, of knowing the difference between it's, in the technical term is called nutritive sucking is when they're getting milk and they're drinking and non-nutritive sucking is when they're using you quote unquote, like a pacifier, which is such a demeaning, annoying modern term because there was no pacifiers in nature. Mm -hmm. And we are providing the absolute biggest comfort to a child, which is to suck their everything about their physiology is designed. Their one main strong reflux is to reflex is to suck mm -hmm. so that they stay alive. And when they are placed chest to chest, skin to skin on our bodies, there's all these little neural bundles and centers all along the front of an infant infant's body that when all of them are pressed and touched at the same time in the way that they would, if they were being held and breastfed up against their mother, their whole nervous system relaxes and changes and their neurodevelopmental processes can take place in with a calm nervous system. And I mean, that's like your brain and your nervous system, your brain and your nervous system developing, and they're developing at such a fast rate. And we know this, right? Like almost every day that you have a newborn, they're different. It's mm -hmm. crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, and through the entire first year of a child's life, they're changing so quickly. So all of this is on purpose. All of this is adaptive and for our benefit as a species, as a human animal, right? But so to, to see what does it look like when a baby is swallowing and babies will, you can tell when a baby is chugging even colostrum, mm -hmm. even though they're getting such a small amount, you know, it's like half of a mil to one mil at a time. Their infant baby stomachs are so tiny in that first week. And it changes every single day. If you look up newborn stomach size, a Google image will show you it changes every day and it gets a little bigger, a little bigger, but it's tiny. It's so little. They don't need very much, but when they're chugging colostrum at the breast in those early days, it looks different. And if you've never seen it or you're not looking for it, maybe you would miss it. And maybe something could occur like, you know, you're, you supposedly think you're feeding your baby and then now your milk is coming in and you're getting really engorged. Your breasts are getting full of milk. And that first milk, when it comes in, it comes in hot and heavy can make your breast feel really hard and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. That should be temporary. It should last no more than 24, 48 hours. You should be noticing softening after your baby has nursed on that breast. It should feel more, more comfortable because they're getting some milk out. If it doesn't, and maybe the baby isn't actually getting the milk out very well. Maybe there's a combination of an oral tie, like a tongue and lip tie that's happening yeah. where they're not able to be getting this milk out very well. Maybe your nipple is a little bit shaped funky where it's difficult for them to get it in the back of their mouth. Maybe their latch just needs more help. Maybe you're not holding them in a proper way. Maybe you're holding them 
too far apart away from your body or with their chin tucked too much. They need to be having their neck extended mm-hmm. out so that they can reach up. Who likes to drink something with their like neck down like this? You want to be able to be in a neutral position with your chin or even a, a little bit so that they have a big mouth. They get a lot of areola in their mouth. So these are all latch things that you would learn if you were reading a book, reading websites, talking to somebody, watching some kind of a breastfeeding course. There are courses now where it's meant to teach the pregnant person how to do this. Mm -hmm. So all of these little things, and then knowing that the non-nutritive sucking where they're sucking and just, you know, they're not necessarily getting milk. They're not chugging and swallowing, but that's so important and so normal for the baby. And it's not a bad habit. Oh my gosh. Let's like get this out of our mind. Mm -hmm. They're using you. They're using you like a pass or pacifier. What are you even talking about? Mm -hmm. Like I, I, that tenant is so um, out of touch. It's distanced ourselves from the fact that we are animals and that our infants depend upon us Mm -hmm. and that that's okay. And that's a beautiful thing. And this is such a temporary time in the grand scheme of things. So, but to know that that's normal as well, your, your newborn, you may be like, oh my gosh, I just fed them. And now they seem to want to nurse again. And there's also cluster feeding. Exactly. And I was going to say confusing. Yes. And so sometimes it's because they want comfort and they just want to suck and be on you because that's where they're meant to be. And sometimes they're cluster feeding, which is they are feeding back to back to back. They're going through a growth spurt and this is all beautifully designed. If we just allow it to happen and stop trying to micromanage everything, because the way that a newborn is feeding so frequently is protective for your milk supply to bring it in very aggressively, not too aggressively, but to bring it in full and robust so that you have enough milk. Mm -hmm. There's so many people that don't have enough milk and there's so many we should, we'll do an episode about that mm-hmm. because there's so many reasons that go into this really fascinating epigenetic reasons from that woman in her own utero experience and her mom and also thyroid and also mental, emotional, um, postpartum depression, and anxiety, and also not getting proper full breastfeeding, physiological breastfeeding education mm-hmm. and training their bodies to pop a new uh, pacifier inside of their baby's mouth. And that little slow effect over time, Mm -hmm. you didn't listen to your baby's needs, not to say, to point fingers at any one person, because Mm -hmm. this is just bad advice that we've been given. And now you don't make enough milk for your baby because in that time period, that really intense time period. And I get it. It's so hard. Like I really, really, really get it. I get it. (laughs) It's so tough and it's designed on purpose so that there is enough milk for this baby. So there's are all the kinds of things that I wish people would learn before, or, and they don't have to become experts, but I wish that it was something that was like talked about at least one layer of exposure so that it's not new information. They're not Mm -hmm. like, Oh, you know, we're trying to find it like sleep deprivation, my nipples bleeding and I can't figure it out. They just know, Oh, I remember learning that I can go back to that resource. Exactly. Oh, there's a website, et cetera. So back about resources, my favorite resources, there's three books that I really enjoy. There's a book called the womanly art of breastfeeding by the Lele J league. I think a lot of people have heard of Lele J league. They are kind of this main organization that has chapters in cities all over the country. They run breastfeeding groups. You can look up your local Le Leche League. L- Le, like L-E. Yeah, L-E-L-E, Le Le. No, no sorry. I think it's L-E, L-E space Leche. Leche, which is L-E-C-H-E, Le Leche League. So the milk. Um, and you can go to their support groups. You can access a lot of information on their website. It's great. 
So The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding is their main book that they've written. Then there's a book called um, Ina Mae Gaskin's Guide to Breastfeeding. Mm. Ina Mae Gaskin is a midwife who has my favorite childbirth book as well, mm. which is called Ina Mae Gaskin's Guide to Childbirth. <laughs> <laughs> Very good and just catchy titles. So she has a really good book as well. Mm. And then Jack Newman which is like, seems odd maybe because it's a man, yeah. but he has amazing, I think he's British. Okay. I think he's British. He has amazing breastfeeding re- resources and his website, I'm going to read it. It's called the International Breastfeeding Center is the Jack Newman website. And on that website, there is a tab at the top that says videos and info. I could have avoided an entire slew of problems because I would have just had more tools in my toolbox and knowledge behind me to know that something was wrong Mm -hmm. way earlier. And I waited to this point that was just traumatic for my son and I, you know, so, and I'll deal with that or I'll detail all those stories and details later, but Mm -hmm. he has videos on this website of a newborn suckling at the breast and not swallowing. And then a newborn that is swallowing so you can see it, you can hear it. You can recognize that he has good latch videos, bad latch videos. There's different size breasts. There's different anatomy. There's different things going on so that you can see it and normalize it for yourself. You know, humans, like we don't learn something by seeing it one time, right? It takes multiple repeated exposures where we're like, okay. And then we get really comfortable with this idea and we see, and we notice Mm -hmm. the way that the lips flange out, which means that they're open and out. They're not curled under and holding onto the breast. That should not be happening if that's just these little, little things. I think if you can be watching some videos or reading some books. So those are my top three books. The International Breastfeeding Center is one of my top websites. My other top website is called kellymom.com. K-E-L-L-Y, kellymom.com. I, I, I'm assuming it's a woman in Kelly. I actually don't even know the origins of the website, but it is a method of breastfeeding information resource. It's so good. Pretty much any breastfeeding topic or problem that you have, there's articles, there's links to other resources. It's really, really well done. It's my favorite. I love it. Okay. My other top advice besides just finding these sort of resources that you can glance and look through and begin to build. And we'll put all of this in the show notes. Yes. Yes. To build your breastfeeding knowledge throughout your pregnancy is to find your local boob group or lactation group. Sometimes they're called boob groups, which I think is beautiful and like Mm -hmm. so cute and funny. But a lactation support group, they should be free. I mean, usually at least there's, mm-hmm. they're free and they may be put on, it may be kind of hard to find. This is like a bit of a problem in the industry is that there's not like really good marketing with the lactation world. It's not like a highly supported thing in terms of funding and money. So you may have to be digging around on the internet. You may have to get on natural parenting Facebook groups for your local city or asking around your mom friends. Do you know, or asking your midwife, your OBGYN, do you know is there a local boob group? Do they meet every week? Is there, and during COVID nothing met. And that was such a hard thing for first time moms, especially, Mm -hmm. I mean, second, third, who cares any mom, but especially first time moms, that was like the biggest tragedy. I just wept sometimes thinking about, oh my gosh, the lack of support, the isolation that we already feel. And then having had no resources, no ability to go anywhere and get any care and support, like such a sad thing. I think now things are beginning to change and groups are meeting again. And so finding something in your local area, maybe it's through the Lay Leche League chapter, but there's probably a couple of different options unless you live somewhere very rural. And so finding those now in your pregnancy, because when you're tired and sleep deprived and you need the help, you have waited a little too long. (laughs) So let's find it now. Let's, let's arm ourselves with those resources 
And then lastly, in addition to that, find your local IBCLC that you would call and just have her number or call and just say, Hey, I'm pregnant. I'm due in, you know, three months, four months, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to introduce myself and I might be calling you when my baby is born and who knows, and just Mm -hmm. have that information saved in your phone or in a document somewhere so that it's easy to access. You don't have to think about it. And in order to find this person and who, you know, how do we vet a good one from a bad one, et cetera, is really just, again, talking to your mom friends or people in your area that know, asking your midwife, your OB, kind of just getting that word of mouth and using this network and building this sort of, okay, oh, also, is there a craniosacral therapist who works on infants around you? Mm-hmm. And maybe you'll never need that. I don't even think Avia needed no, we, that. She didn't need it, but we went anyways. You went anyways, just like for a good tune-up, which yeah. is a great idea. Mm-hmm. And now in the situation, like with my babies, they absolutely needed so much craniosacral therapy a couple twice a week, once or twice a week for months because of the way that their bodies were formed and so tight. And so, you know, in order to just feel comfortable in their bodies. And now that's partially genetics mm-hmm. between my husband and I, etc. Um, not everybody will need it, but I just think it's a good thing to have sort of like in your plan. Do we need this? Do we not need it? Etc. And then if you don't ever have to call them fine, but now you've had, you've done some of this research and back work that can feel really overwhelming. That small task of finding somebody to call when you're in that moment in your postpartum and you're having problems, like it just doesn't, it's one more thing. And we don't have to do that if we can prepare in pregnancy. Yeah. So those are like, yeah, go ahead. So two things I want to add as you shared this, which I learned from you was one thing is that most babies will drop weight. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. When they're born to know. Yeah. And that's normal. Yep. Totally normal. It is normal. And then they gain that weight back. So what, what is the time frame that a baby should be back to, to birth weight? Yeah. So when babies are born, they, because the colostrum isn't fully, you know, loaded with lots of fat, it's mostly just immunoglobulins and good, so, you know, microbiome passing and things and protein. There is a certain physiologically normal amount of weight that they can lose. It's up to 10% of their birth weight. And then by that, you know, within that first 10 days, two weeks, we want to see them steadily gaining and reaching their birth weight again. Yeah. So, so fact, some people will be like, oh my God, you need to give them formula because they've lost weight. weight. Yes. And that's not the case. And if you did get an epidural or any IV fluids, then your baby will be much heavier even when they're born because they have all of that IV fluid in their system. So it makes a dramatic, a more dramatic birth loss. Yes. And sometimes women are encouraged to go on formula because that loss, and you always have to keep in mind any IV fluid if you're in the hospital. Yes. Like IV hydration fluid, Mm -hmm. um, and epidurals always have an IV fluid hydration component to them. So, but even if you didn't have an epidural, you just had a bag of fluids Mm -hmm. just in the way that it makes your body swollen of fluid again, it can cause sort of an, of an inflated initial first birth weight for your baby. And that loss appears steeper when it's really not that they're losing like fat. Yeah. It's just losing more of that fluid. Right. So just keeping that in mind that it's okay. And we can be kind of working with this as a factor, letting your lactation consultant know this or your pediatrician or whoever it is that you're working with Mm post-birth. And then you should be seeing the pattern though, that like, Okay. Now the weight loss has stopped. If you're weighing, if you're having regular weight checks in that first week, which most people don't, 
So, you know, just take this with a grain of salt, but then you should steadily see it start to go back up. Mm -hmm. And it's somewhere in the range of a, a breastfed baby gains around a quarter to a half ounce a day, some maybe up to an ounce a day, a half ounce to an ounce a day would be like ideal. And you can also do pre and post feed ways, which yes. you did at some of your boot groups, which I thought was so cool. Yes. So say later on after your milk has come in, and you're, you know, you have a three week old and you're curious when they have a feed, how much are they transferring? How much are they getting? You weigh the baby naked, usually on a scale, you feed the baby and then you weigh them again. And because it's an infant scale, it goes down to the ounce and you can compare those weights and find out, oh, they intook one and a half ounces or mm -hmm. four ounces. Sometimes you'll be surprised. It's like six, you know, <laughs> that's not common, but it can, it can be a thing. I've seen it where you're like, holy moly, like some of these babies just chug. Yeah. And then it can also help inform you like, oh my gosh, you know, my baby only wants to nurse like every four hours. I cannot get them to nurse more often. It's uncommon story, but it can happen. And it's like, well, let's weigh them. Oh, they're taking six ounces each feet or something like that. And how much is typical? Like just for someone who doesn't know how much two or three, so two to three ounces yeah. of feed. And so, so, and depending on their age and it changes over time really quickly, but like after that first, like three, four weeks, they're in that sort of typical range where they're getting around, yeah, between one and a half. Sometimes they snack. We just don't ever really know. Sometimes they'll snack every hour and they're getting one and a half ounces or something. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll, but I would say like between two and four ounces, but two to three is probably most common somewhere in there. That's how much they're getting. And the interesting thing is that, like I was saying in the newborn phase, their stomach is so small and there's, they're used to getting just a tiny amount of colostrum. Mm -hmm. But after that, like, I forget exactly where it is. So you'll have to look it up to exactly know, but somewhere around three or four weeks, the amount that the baby intakes on a daily is the same, the entire rest of the breastfeeding journey. It's somewhere between like 24 and 30 ounces. It's going to change based on the child, mm -hmm. based on the contents of the milk, based on their activity, but it's the same. Like a six month old does not drink more than a one month old. It's not weird. I know it it's weird. not like we continually have to make more and more milk because we are you're, like you feeding your nine month old right now. You're mm -hmm. feeding her the same amount that she was probably eating at like, you know, six weeks oh, in terms of ounces, yeah. but the milk changes. It goes oh. from being very fatty to more proteinaceous and it, it changes, you know, if they're sick, it's such a beautiful like wow, dance, so cool. but yeah, so that's a really good point that the baby will lose some weight and that's a normal thing. And people yeah. really get freaked out yeah, about that. And I, really I get that it can be concerning, but it's also normal. Yeah. And just to know if the baby is losing weight and that trajectory is not going back up, maybe the baby is just doing a non-nutritive suck and, and has not, a hard time not actually getting because of maybe a latch issue or something yes. like that, which was happening with your son. Yes. My son did not regain his birth weight until he was three weeks old. He lost over a pound, which was like 15% of his body weight or something. And it was really scary. I was told I did not have enough milk, which was not true. I was told he was not tied, which was not true. Yeah. He had a, he had a tie. He was and lip and tongue tied it. severely. And I had so much milk and it was just not getting out. He would, yeah. he would see, he would latch. And what I thought he was drinking, he was just flutter sucking. He was just doing this very light little suck because his mouth couldn't really do what he needed to do. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm nursing him 45 minutes each right. side. Like I, I don't understand. That's so important for women to understand yes. just because the baby is at your nipple and appears to be sucking. This is why doing this education beforehand to know what a true proper latch is, a true yes. proper suck and the swallow so important. 
because you had such a hard time. Oh my God. And he destroyed my nipples because I was just feeding him, feeding him. And then I was told the advice I was given was feed him more often, feed him for longer. I'm like, lady, I'm literally feeding him for 45 minutes on each side, every time, every two hours. Mm -hmm. And he was, his latch was awful. And he, you know, he's on there for that many minutes and I was bleeding. He would burp up pink colored blood or pink colored milk because it was bloody from my oh, tissue. And then you got mastitis. Oh, I got mastitis twice in the first three weeks you know, of his so life. It's like, please it avoid horrible. this. It's, it's a simple solution. Again, this should be involved in every woman's mm-hmm. OB-GYN visit is a sit down to watch the video on proper latch and yeah. all of that. And the other thing and I want to just bring up is we talk about this in another episode, but to just be cognizant of not potentially pumping in those early days yes. because it will change all sorts of things. And that's a whole other conversation, but right. it's something to unless be you have of. to yes. wait to pump until say like three or four weeks, you want your milk supply to be mostly established by your baby's true need. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to be stimulating our breasts to be making more milk than we need by using a pump. That's using an unnatural suction and an un- unnatural, you know, force of stimulation at the breast. Sometimes we know we need to use pumps or babies in the NICU. Or sometimes mm-hmm. we do have a low supply or we have true hypoglandular tissue, which is like where we don't make enough glandular tissue. There's a time and a place, but for the average woman feeding the average newborn in an average situation, avoid using the pump. You can use something like the Haka, which is a silicone breast pump that you latch onto like one side gently. Mm-hmm. Don't squeeze it as hard as you can and then suction it on because that can be that, that force of action is still similar to a pump. It's not quite the same because it doesn't go in and out, but it still is pulling milk really uh, aggressively. You can just suction it so it stays on and it can kind of catch the dripping that you may be experiencing. You can be saving that milk and building your freezer stash, Mm -hmm. you know, for when you have to go back to work or date nights or whatever. But yeah, we really do want to be avoiding a lot of pumping if we can. I did use a haka to collect the leaking of the other side. And just that alone was able to build up enough milk to have an emergency bottle if never, if ever needed and stuff like that. So but the straight up pumping, I see that sometimes with women who their nipples hurt or maybe they're bleeding and cracked. They're not getting the support from an IBCLC. Maybe they have a latch issue. And so they're like, well, I'm just going to pump because it doesn't hurt as bad. But then they create oversupply that can lead to mastitis and things like that. And so yes. just being mindful. And they're still not addressing the problem, which yeah, is a bad latch. It's just like overriding it. Like, I'm just going to do this instead. It's like, no, we need to figure yeah, this it's out. A symptom. Just like everything we talk about on this podcast, it's a symptom that has a root cause. And if you just ignore the symptom, you are not getting to the underlying cause that your body's intelligently telling you to pay attention to. So mm-hmm. know what is normal, what's in the realm of normal with breastfeeding, what is in the realm of abnormal and what to just look out for, I think is just like, of course, why don't we do this? I know. And then, you know, lastly, I'll just say that that's all the stuff I wish that people knew before they were going into breastfeeding. And then just really only focus on breastfeeding a newborn. You don't need to be looking into all of the information about what it's like breastfeeding a Mm -hmm. six month old or a toddler, like way, you know, take that one step at a time. Don't think about that. Don't worry about that. But that can be helpful for now. Let's say, you know, you've established breastfeeding, you're going out to these boob groups or something. And that's the stuff that you may learn, which is cool to hear from these other people in this group. Usually there's a part of the meeting where like each person is going around and they're talking about their struggles or their wins. And you'll learn like, oh, I didn't even know that, you know, a nursing strike was a thing. Mm -hmm. And that's like when a baby suddenly wants, just kind of refuses the breast for a period of time. Or, oh, how do you manage getting bitten when they have teeth or et cetera. So there's continual education that will be happening throughout the breastfeeding process. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can just talk about it with your friends. 
take it day by day, visit blogs, whatever. It's your Instagram or TikTok accounts that are educational for you. But in what I'm wishing for people to focus on is just getting the breastfeeding established and the newborn latch and just knowing that there's a lot of components to that sometimes. And sometimes it's also very easy for women. Like it was so easy for you. And it was so wonderful to see that your baby's latch the moment she was born yeah. was perfect. Yeah, it was perfect. It was amazing to see that because I did not have that experience. And it's so cool to see normal mm-hmm. physiological processes happening. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> possible. That is possible. Yes. And so many women do have a fine time. And so I don't want to freak anybody out, but I do just think it's good to know that they're not to have like, well, my friend breastfed just perfectly. And my experience is different and that you just recognize why it's different and how to help you because we are all different people. It's, it's an interplay. Oh, one of my, I'll leave you with this. My very favorite quote, which is, I don't know who it sings it. I, or Seth sings it. You can sing it. I'll sing it. (laughs) It is the quote that is now someone else said it. Someone else said it, but I'm going to sing it. So it's my thing. <laughs> Women learn to breastfeed by breastfeeding. <laughs> Babies learn to breastfeed by breastfeeding. There we go. <laughs> yeah. So it's just this idea that it's an interplay of learning. Your breast, you learn to breastfeed by breastfeeding your baby. Your baby learns to breastfeed by breastfeeding. There is so much to be said about when a baby latches and it's painful you take them off, you put their, your finger in the corner of their mouth to release the suction. You don't just rip them off because it's going to go and it's going to pull, pull on your, on your tissue. It hurts so bad. It hurts so bad. <laughs> so you unlatch them and you redo it again. And then you can talk to your baby like a full sentient human being that they are and say, this is the way I want you to latch. I like that. This latch feels good. Good job. Whatever you're talking to them. They actually really understand everything we're <laughs> saying. We, it seems silly because mm-hmm. there's no way for them to respond quite yet, but it's a, it's a da- balance in a dance. And we both have instincts, the, the mother and the baby to make this thing work, but there's learning involved on both ends. And so it's, it's just a, this first month is really intense sometimes can be while this learning is taking place with all the physiological changes. And then you're like pretty much rock and roll at it. And you know, there's a spectrum for each person, but I love that quote because it really highlights that we have to be doing this together with our babies mm-hmm. and that it's okay. If you don't know everything right away, you will get there. And all of these tough phases are temporary and like there is a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, just like with birth, like it's not forever. You're not going to be in this situation forever. It's there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a phase and a change. And just like with everything with motherhood and parenting in general, any of these tough behaviors or tough times that you're teaching your child to do something different, or they're starting to have a different awareness, stranger danger, they're putting things in their mouth. It's, it's all temporary and all fluid and phases and just part of life. And we just need to be like, okay, we're rocking and rolling on to the next thing. So Oh, that, so <laughs> such a wealth of knowledge. Thank you, Dr. Morgan. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Healthy as a Mother podcast. In order for other women to hear this information, please leave a review with Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and send to a friend who could benefit from this content. We're so excited to share more on becoming and being a mother next time. And remember, a healthier future starts now and it starts with you. Please remember that the ideas and views presented in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for medical care of any kind, including the diagnosis or treatment of any illness or disease. Consult with your provider before integrating this information into your own care plan. Now go have a wonderful day. You've got this.